Your About Me page is often your website's most popular page. Good About Pages help you get more media exposure, grow your email list, and connect to your readers. Bad About Pages become forgettable noise that bore your readers to death. So how do you craft an About Page to shine? How do you craft the kind of About Page that makes readers fall in love with you? Well, that is what we're going to talk about in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. This episode is for indie and traditional authors, both published and pre-published. And parts of this episode are taken from a very popular blog post that Caitlin Muir wrote for Author Media back in the day. So think of this as an updated version of that post. We have helped hundreds of authors build About Me pages, and we have advised tens of thousands of authors on how to have better About Me pages. And so this episode is packed full of all of the advice we have learned the hard way. But before we talk about what to incorporate in your About page, we should talk about who your About page is for. Why does it matter who visits your page? Because different people are looking for different things, and a good About page can thrill them all. So the first group we should talk about is readers, obviously. Readers want to know about you. They want to know where you live, how old you are, how long you've been writing. But more importantly, perhaps most importantly, they want to get a feel for your personality and they want to read your story. A dry list of accomplishments will scare readers right off your about page. Now, another group that visits your about page is podcast hosts. They're always looking for guests. There are millions of podcasts, and they are all looking for guests every week. That is millions and millions of guests every week that they need to find. And they may be already visiting your about page. They want to know if you're a good fit for their show, but they also want a short bio that they can copy and paste for your intro. Some might want a longer bio that they can use to spice up your intro, but most podcast hosts will just copy and paste your bio but the best will tweak it for their own audiences. Podcast hosts also want to know if you've done any previous interviews. And if you do a lot of media or you plan to go on a podcast tour, you may want to consider creating an author media kit. Uh, This is a form of about page that's specifically for journalists, podcast hosts, and TV producers. And yes, we have an episode all about how to put together a press kit in the show notes, and we'll have a link to that episode. Now, speaking of journalists, they're also looking at your about page, but unlike podcast hosts, they really want that extended bio. They can use that extended bio as research to build their story about you. So they're going to rewrite that bio in their news article about you or take pieces from it. So while podcast hosts want a short bio, journalists want a long bio. And again, the journalist will often go straight to the press kit. So the press kit and the about page can be very closely integrated. And it's okay in your press kit to link to your about page for the long bio or vice versa. Another kind of person who is coming to your about page is event coordinators and MCs at events. They want to know if you're going to be a good speaker, a good fit for their audience, but often they're looking for material for their introduction. 
Now, if you've gone through professional speaking training, you have also gotten MC training most likely, and you know to craft a custom bio for the audience. So you take a long bio and you use it to create a short introduction that builds the credibility of the speaker. But in my experience, speaking professionally for the last 10 years, very few MCs have had this training. <laughs> I can't tell you how many unprepared MCs I've seen spend five minutes reading an about page from their phone while introducing a speaker. Oh, this is so boring. It kills the energy in the room and it creates a big hole that the speaker then has to dig out of. And it could have been so easily avoided with a better about page. <laughs> so at the beginning of your about page, have a short bio that's introduction length so that MCs who don't know how or don't have time to create a custom introduction for you can still give a good introduction for you. The final group of people uh, we'll talk about that visit your about page and may already be visiting your about page are literary agents. Even if you're an indie author, it can be beneficial to have conversations with literary agents. And if you do a good enough job building your platform and selling books, literary agents will reach out to you. They will call you if your platform is big enough. But before they reach out, they will go to your about page. So you want to have the kind of about page that gets them interested. Literary agents and other industry people are looking for your publishing experience. They want to know about your past literary successes, if you have any. Okay, so we've talked about who the about page is for. Now let's talk about how to make your bio more interesting. The core element of an about page is the author bio. And most author bios bore readers to death, compelling them to skim or bounce away. Here are some tips to help make your bio more interesting. And I will say I have a free worksheet companion for this episode that can help you with this process. You can download that worksheet for free at authormedia.com slash 302. So the most important thing to realize about your author bio is that a good bio isn't a resume, it's a story. Good stories have a protagonist, an antagonist, struggle, tension, resolution, and even, dare I say it, conflict. <laughs> These are the elements that make a story interesting. Don't let your bio be a brainless children's TV program with no tension or conflict. Not that I've been watching any brainless TV programs with two toddlers in the house. <laughs> there are interesting children's programs and there are boring children's programs. And there are a lot of boring children's programs. I'm like, just add a little bit of conflict. Just add a little bit of tension. Add an antagonist. It's not that hard. But I guess toddlers are looking for something different in their television. If you're a novelist, you want to put your full short story storytelling tool set to use in your bio. And if you write nonfiction, you're going to want to learn some basic storytelling techniques and incorporate them into your bio. Speaking of which, I will give you those techniques right now. In fact, I've got a four-step process. And again, this is all in the worksheet that you can get at authormedia.com slash 302. So step one, fill the pantry. So we're going to collect all of the most interesting ingredients before we create the dish. You're not going to use all of these things, but you won't know what your best ingredients are, what the best elements of your bio are going to be until we get them all on page. So I want you to collect the following information. I want you to write down some of your personality traits, outgoing or quiet or precise, reliable, funny, artistic, whatever, right? Just dump a bunch of your personality traits onto the page. It's okay to ask a friend or a family member to help you. 
Like, what do you think my most interesting personality traits are? You also want to write down some quirky facts, right? You collect postcards. You like to climb mountains. You raise alpacas. You participate in lawnmower races or whatever. And ultimately, what we're trying to answer is the question, what makes you different? What makes you weird? This could be strengths. It could be weaknesses. It could be quirks. But what makes you interesting is what makes you different. So many authors with their bios are trying to fit in. They're trying to wear camouflage. Don't do that. <laughs> it's not uh, It's not you. <laughs> and it's boring. It's not good marketing. And it's not good for your psyche. If you believe deep down that you have to be somebody else to be successful, you're going to be very sad. And also, you're not going to be very successful. Because guess what? That person you're trying to copy, we already have that person. We don't have you. If you are David and all you have is a sling and a few smooth stones, that's all you need. Don't put on Saul's armor. Don't try to be somebody you're not. The next thing you want to do is to determine the antagonist of your bio. Great stories have one of six antagonists. This is literature 101. I don't want to bore you, but I do want to remind you because it does apply to your bio. And those are nature, so like an illness, society, so maybe something like cancel culture, or yourself, right? Your bio could feature you overcoming an addiction or overcoming something that you were doing to harm yourself or others, right? Maybe it's haters. It's the bad guys out there that you had to overcome. Or maybe it's your own creation, right? Maybe you created a company and it went astray or you invented something that is now being used for evil, at least common, perhaps. And then finally, something supernatural, right? Uh, perhaps the devil or demons or God has set himself against you, right? These would make for a powerful bio if it is the case for you. The next thing you want to put in your list of ingredients is your inciting incident. What made you want to start writing? Sometimes this can be the most interesting element of your bio, but maybe not, right? If you decided that you wanted to start writing in second grade because you had a really great English teacher, that's not particularly interesting, but maybe you can find a way to make it interesting. Uh, sometimes authors had a teacher that told them they were worthless and their writing was nothing, and that teacher became the antagonist, right? The obstacle they had to overcome, and they worked that into their bio. So every story is different, and what makes your story interesting will be different than what makes somebody else's story interesting. The next thing you want to write down is your dark moment. At what point were you close to disaster? At what point were you close to giving up or failing or accomplishing the wrong goal? These are just a few dark moments that you can feature in your story. And obviously your life has been filled with many dark moments and many light moments, right? What we're doing is we're crafting a specific story around the kind of writing that you do to give you the kind of credibility that you need to sell to writers. So we're not writing your whole life story here. <laughs> we're, you put one dark moment. Don't put every hardship that you faced in your life, right? Everybody dies eventually, right? All of your loved ones will die and you will die. Don't put them all in the story. <laughs> but if one loved one dying was really key to your journey then featured that one dark moment. I, I don't I don't mean to be flippant here. Uh, ho hopefully hopefully you're hearing this in, in the spirit I'm intending it, which is uh, creating a compelling story uh, for readers. And I realize that psychologically this is difficult, right? We're writing about our strengths and we're writing about our weaknesses, our successes, and our failures. And we are tempted to try to hide all of those things. But if we do. That's what makes it boring. <laughs> so it takes courage to write a bio that people actually want to read. And finally, you want to write down some of your successes. And these are 
specifically successes that help you boost your credibility relating to the kind of writing that you're doing. If you are writing adventures that take place around the world, perhaps you're talking about your travel. If you're writing about a specific area of expertise, perhaps you write about some of your academic accomplishments, right? So what gives you credibility is very varied. Maybe it's the fact that you've read a thousand books on your topic, right? There's a lot of ways to get credibility and you want to put as many as you want on this list. Because remember, we're not writing the story yet. We're just filling the pantry with ingredients. And the more ingredients you have in the pantry, the more options you have when it comes to writing your story. And I, again, I really encourage you to go through the worksheet because in the worksheet, I ask each one of these questions and then you have a chance to write the answers and then you're already halfway there, but in a much psychologically easier way. <laughs> so again, you can download that free worksheet at authormedia.com slash 302. It's also on the homepage if you're listening to this right now. But for those of you in the future, 302 is the number you want to remember. All right, so now we have the pantry full. It's time for step two. Write the long bio. So this is the bio for journalists and for readers who are really curious about your writing. And this is where we're going to look over those ingredients from your pantry. And we're going to look to see what jumps out, right? Do you have a really compelling, inciting incident? Do you have a really relatable antagonist? What is the source of tension, right? What jumps out at you? What's the most interesting thing from this bio? And you want to start building the bio around that, right? So good stories have a beginning, where you kind of set the stakes. There is this transition where you start doing the thing that you want to do, the inciting moment, right, that takes you from the beginning to the middle. And then typically at the end of the middle is where you put your dark moment and then you have the ascendance out of that dark moment in the third act. I am really simplifying a lot of storytelling techniques here. There's a lot of great books that you can read on, on short storytelling. And it's a if you've... I really encourage short story writing in this podcast, but I realize a lot of you nonfiction folks have been ignoring it until now. Well, this is the one time when you gotta you gotta do it. <laughs> You're writing at least one short story in your own bio. And it may be that you write a couple of different bios focusing on different elements. That's totally cool. And that may help you with this brainstorming process. And it's worth it to put some good work into this because you will be building on this bio for the rest of your career <laughs> and lots and lots of people are going to visit this page. It's often almost as frequently visited as your homepage. So this is not something to just do very quickly. So once you've written your long bio, you've got it the way that you like it. Now it's time to write the short bio. And this is that introduction length bio. It's actually going to go above the long bio, but you want to write it second because I think it's easier to write the short bio after you've already written the big bio. And now you're just pulling out the highlights of the big bio. And I realize it's hard to cut, right? You've got this long, complete story. How do you shorten it? Well, you just take the highlights, but as you cut, don't cut the personality. You still want who you are to shine through the short bio and some of the narrative, if you can have it shine through the short bio. Ultimately though, you want to answer this question. What is the least amount of info people need to know about me to find me credible and likable. <laughs> and once you answer that question, stop typing. So I think the short bio should be under 100 words, and if you can, even under 50 words. Whereas the long bio can be 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 words. You have a lot more flexibility with how long the long bio is. So now we have the short bio, we have the long bio. Now it's time for step four, add a little spice. It's time to add a little spice. 
Remember, your about page is a web page. This means that you can add multimedia. Remember when I was a kid, I got my first multimedia PC and it had speakers and a CD drive and it was magical. Well, your web page can be just as magical as my computer back in the 90s. Uh, did you fall off a pyramid at the end of an, and end up in an Egyptian hospital while doing research for your mummy book? Put a photo of you in the hospital. <laughs> Maybe put a photo of you on the pyramid. Uh, do you have a blog post that tells a whole, the whole story? Include a link to that blog post in the about page. Maybe you only mention it in brief in passing in the about page, but there can be a hyperlink to the whole extended story. Remember, your about page is one of the first pages that people visit on your website, which means you want it to be a gateway to the rest of your website. So that takes us to the first piece of spice, and that is hyperlinks. <laughs> you want to have lots and lots of hyperlinks on your about page to other blog posts and articles or things around the web. Now, if you're just getting started, you're not going to have a lot of hyperlinks. You, you won't have those blog posts written. You won't have been interviewed on those podcasts, and that's okay. But as those start to exist, as your career continues, go back to your About page and add those links. It's a really good practice. Uh, another piece of spice that you can add to your About page is a beautiful design. And if you're using the Divi theme, which is the one I recommend, and I have affiliate links in the show notes for this theme, it's a really good WordPress theme that makes building beautiful pages really easy. And one of the things I like about the Divi theme is that it has hundreds of about page templates <laughs> with photos of stock photo people that you can swap out for your own photos and very easily have a, just a beautiful about page without very much work. Speaking of photos, that's the next piece of spice. It's okay to have dozens of photos on your about page if you have dozens of great photos. Right, uh, Pretty much every about page has a photo, but don't feel like you're limited to that. You can also put videos. If you have a cool video about you, feel free to put it on your about page. Another cool thing you could add is a timeline. The uh, author media about page has a cool timeline that lets you see the history of the company. And Divi has a cool timeline feature built right in. So if you go to author media and click about and scroll down, you can take a look at what that timeline can look like. And maybe for your story, that could be really helpful. If you just got started writing six months ago, maybe the timeline not so interesting. <laughs> but if you have an interesting timeline, feature it. And again, there's a lot of flexibility here. Don't add all the spices to your cooking and don't add all of these elements to your about page. But do look for a few to spice things up and make it more interesting. Uh, the final piece of spice is social links. If you don't have social media links on the rest of your website, people will look for them on your about page. Now, I will say it's okay to not be on social media and don't feel like you need to sign up for Facebook just to put links on your about page. But if you do want readers to connect to you on social media and you do have those platforms, and if you don't have the links on the rest of your website for whatever reason, right? most authors put them in the footer and in the header, but if you're not doing that, at least put them on your about page. All right, now I have two examples here of a good bio and a bad bio. <laughs> these we wrote for that original blog post. Caitlin wrote these and I think they do a really good job illustrating what a good bio and a bad bio are. So I'll have examples in the show notes, but let me read these for you really quickly because most authors are like this first bio. Bob started attending UCLA in the fall of 1985. As one of the core residents, Bob had been able to do significant research with the anthropology department. 
Every year until 1998, Bob published an anthology of biographies highlighting the stories of the students living on campus. In 1988, Bob switched his major to economics. It was then that he was first introduced to the life and theories of John Maynard Keynes. He decided that he wanted to become the foremost expert on Keynes. And it wasn't Keynes's economic theories that fascinated Bob. It was the man behind them. In 1999, Bob married his childhood sweetheart, a banker named Sue. 2001, Bob started a musical about the life of Keynes. That year, Bob was also blessed with a puppy named Grover and a daughter named Daisy. Bob has since graduated college and become an accountant and started running five miles every day. He continues to write his exhaustive biography of John Maynard Keynes. Okay, so that's kind of a typical bio, right? And it really focuses on education, which is almost always the least interesting thing about you. Everybody gets an education, right? Like where you got your education, what your education is, not usually very interesting. Don't hide it, right? Like if you went to college, you can put it in your bio, but I wouldn't make it the primary thing. And also tell a story. And a story is not a list of facts. On this date, you did this. And on this date, you did that. It's not very interesting. All right. So now let's talk about the second fictional author, Bill the Biographer. So this guy writes the same kind of books, right? He's writing the same genre of books, but listen to this bio. Growing up in the Pacific Northwest, Bill was familiar with the legends surrounding Sacagawea. It wasn't until he left the region that he realized that her story was largely unknown by the rest of the country. He set out to change that. So already we're setting up the antagonist, which is a, it's a man against society plot, right? It's Bill against an ignorant society that doesn't know about Sacagawea. Okay, back to the bio. On May 14th, 2015, Bill packed up his earthly belongings and headed off with Han Solo, his pet parakeet, on the adventure of a lifetime, following the footsteps of Sacagawea and the core of Discovery. His book about her journey, Sacagawea, First Lady of the American Frontier, was published and received critical acclaim in 2020. The book was accepted into the Library of Congress nine months after publication. So here we have some, some credibility for the publishing people, right? They want to know, has there been success, right? That, so we're working in some of that real specific success here. Uh, back to the bio. Bill and Han Solo are back on the road tracing the story of Sacagawea's firstborn son. This time they are motorcycling with Hans safe and secure in his custom-designed sidecar. The Adventures of Jean-Baptiste, first son of the American West, will be published in fall 2022. You can sign up for Bill's weekly author newsletter from the road where he discusses the history of the region. Bill received his PhD in history from Reed College, and he is a popular professor with thousands of students signing up for his online classes every year. Okay, so hopefully that was a more interesting bio, right? It has an antagonist, it has kind of a beginning and a middle. It could be better, right? We didn't have a dark moment, right? There was... A, more things we could have done. I know a lot of you novelists are like, give me a crack at that. I can write a much better bio for this fictional person. But hopefully it gives you a hint of kind of where you're wanting to go. All right, so real quick, let me give you some pro tips. These are specific tips that I've learned over the last 15 years helping authors with their about pages that will give you an edge and specifically give you an edge on ranking on Google. So your about page can really help your search engine rankings if you know what you're doing. So the first thing is, Write the about page in third person. Don't use first person pronouns like I and me. Talk about yourself like you're Julius Caesar, right? Use your full name. 
this does several things for you. One, it makes your bio easier to copy and paste for MCs and journalists and podcast hosts. Right, think about that person introducing you who forgot to do his prep and he pulls out the phone. He needs to read it and not translate every I into Joe Blow. And again, you're not going to rank for the word I, but you do want to rank for your own name. And if you write the page in third person, you're going to be using your name a lot naturally, and that's going to help you rank for your name on Google. Speaking of Google, the next thing you want to do is have one, at least one, high-resolution headshot. When someone wants to write about you in their blog, they often want a photo of you. And in general, they won't email you asking for a photo. I've had hundreds of blog posts and articles written about me, and I've had over the last 10 or 15 years perhaps two or three people request a photo to use in their blog post about me. That's it. The other several hundred, they just did a Google image search. And so you want to influence which image people see in the Google image search for your name. Otherwise, a photo that you hate could spread around the internet faster than you can ask people to replace it. I have had hit pieces, negative blog posts written by my haters about me, and they used one of my approved photos. Why? Because they were the ones that ranked on the Google image search. So that's the way to do it. You don't want some bad image of you that somebody took at some conference being the one everyone uses because the more people blog about you, the more they'll use each other's images, the ones that everybody else is using. So how do you get your chosen photo to rank well on the Google image search? Well, the first thing you want to do is before you upload the photo to your website, you want to rename the file and you want to rename it first name hyphen last name dot JPG. So John hyphen Smith dot JPG. Google sees that hyphen or that minus sign as a space. And so you're signaling to Google that this book is about John Smith and it's an image of John Smith, which is exactly what it is. You also want to make sure that the image's alt text also says first name, last name. So John Smith. And I have a link in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 302 to a whole blog post about alt text because you can add alt text to any image and it's a really good practice. The third thing you want to do is make sure that the image is at least 2,000 by 1,000 pixels or 1,000 by 2,000 pixels. Normally, when you're building a web page, you want to shrink the images as much as you can so that the page loads quickly. But this is not one of those times. Google Images likes large, high-quality images for image search. So a good, high-resolution image is always going to outrank everyone else's image. And this is particularly important because as other bloggers write blog posts about you, they'll take this high resolution image and they'll make a smaller version for their blog because they want their blog post to load quickly, which means that your version will stay at the top of the stack most likely. If you do these things, this image should rank number one when somebody does types your name into the Google image search engine. Now, it may take a couple of months if you've just doing this now, right? Google doesn't update immediately, but once you rank number one, you should be able to stay there. Now, if somebody else famous has your same name or you have a really common name, it'll be harder to get your image to rank. But I will tell you, very few people know how to do search optimization for images. So you can beat even big time celebrities. Big time authors often have no search engine optimization for their websites. The next kind of pro tip for authors is to set the schema. Don't turn off. I'll explain. So about pages can get special treatment from Google. 
You just need to know how to ask for it. So have you ever noticed how when you do a search for some authors, you don't just get their homepage, but it also shows you their about page and their contact page and their blog and this kind of like zone above the first link? Well, you can help your website get that bonus zone. And one of the ways to do that is to designate your about page as an about page in the schema.org architecture. And it's shockingly easy. If you're using WordPress, which is what I've recommended for the last 10 years on this podcast, and if you're using the Yoast SEO plugin, which is also the podcast I've been recommending since 2013, 2014, it's literally just three steps. You scroll down to the Yoast SEO section of the About page. You click Schema, and you set Page Type to About Page. That's it. I have a tutorial, and it was such a simple tutorial, it's all on one photo. So if you go to the show notes, I have step one, step two, step three. It takes about 20 seconds. And if you do this, search engines like Google and Bing will give your page, your about page, special treatment. It will give it bonus points for ranking on Google. The next pro tip is to put a opt-in to collect emails on your about page. If a reader is reading your about page, there's a good chance they are a super fan. So this is a really good time to remind them to sign up for your email list. Maybe they haven't signed up for your email list yet, and this is the time, and you'll get a surprisingly high conversion rate on this opt-in form. And if you're using the Bloom plugin, which is what I recommend, it comes with Divi if you have Divi, this is really easy to do. You can do it with just a few clicks. If you've already created an opt-in, you just go click, click, click to add it to the page. I wouldn't add it at the top, but down perhaps below the long bio is a good spot for that opt-in. The next pro tip is to call the page about, not about me, not my story, not something clever. <laughs> I know you want to be clever. You want to show your creativity, but what seems clever to you makes your website hard to use for visitors. There are certain pages on your website that you want to use the standard names for because it makes your website easier to use. Those three pages are home, about, and contact. <laughs> Don't get clever. And I would say Books and blog as well. Navigation should be standardized. It makes your website a lot easier to use. If people have to decode what something means in order to click on it, they're just skimming. They're not going to do it, and they're not going to engage with your website in nearly as deep of a way. So there are plenty of places where you can be creative. If you're writing a blog, write great creative blog posts. Take great creative photos. But in your navigation, in what you name the pages, use the standard names. <laughs> it really will help you ingratiate yourself to your readers. We'll be very thankful subconsciously that your website is easy to use. No one likes a website that's hard to use. Finally, I encourage you to schedule a refresh. So the about page, more than maybe any other page of your website, needs to be kept up to date. And so how do you remember to keep your website up to date, and specifically the about page? Well, what I recommend doing is to create a calendar event in your digital calendar. So if you use Google Calendar, you can do it there. If you have a calendar on your phone, you can do it there and set the notification to be email. So this is a great way to email yourself in the future a reminder to do something. And if I think about once a year is probably frequent enough. Plus, anytime you're launching a book, right, make sure to check it then. And if you go to your about page once a year, it should only be about an hour to update it tops. Sometimes you just skim it and you're like, yep, or you read it. Don't skim it. And you're like, 
Everything's still accurate. Nothing's really changed. You don't have to do anything. Or, oh, nope, I have three kids now. <laughs> Somebody emailed me like, hey, don't you have two children? Your about uh, on your website only has one. I go to my about section on my website and it's awful. I haven't updated it in forever. It's very embarrassing. And as I'm putting this episode together, I'm feeling very bad. <laughs> my personal about page isn't up to snuff. So the thomasumstat.com about page, not great. But I do keep the Author Media About page up to date. So if you want to see a good About page, uh, go to authormedia.com. I'll probably be updating my About page as I go. And as you update your About page, I encourage you to share it on uh, the comments of this blog post, or you're welcome to share it on authormedia.social, which actually leads us to our sponsor, which is the course, How to Build an Amazing Author Website. Learn how to build an amazing author website, even if you're not a techie person. And if you already have an author website, learn how to make it better. And the best part, this course is free. It's my gift to you. And I recently added to this course an exclusive section of authormedia.social just for students of this course. There's a place for you to share your website to get feedback from other authors. And there's also a place for you to share your website questions. So if you are facing a technical challenge or you just need a second opinion, there's now a really easy place to get that. And it's only for students of this course. So you have to sign up for the course. It doesn't cost any money, but you have to do, you have to create an account and then you get access to the students only section for this course on authormedia.social. And that is a really good place to share your about page to get feedback from other students who've also gone through the course and can give you better feedback. Our featured patron today is C.L.R. Peterson, author of Lucia's Renaissance. Heresy is fatal in late Renaissance Italy, so only a suicidal zealot would so much as whisper the name of Martin Luther. But after Luther's ideas ignite a young girl's faith, she must choose, abandon her beliefs, or risk her life in the turbulent world of late 16th century Italy. CLR Peterson, thank you so much for being a patron of the podcast. Thank you for your support. It is your support and other patrons like you that keep this podcast coming every week. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, you are welcome to call our listener helpline at 512-827-8377. Or just go to authormedia.com slash contact or go to our contact page and you can upload a high quality recording or you can see the phone number there if you want to call us on the telephone. And my daughter, just as I record this, is turning three years old, which is really exciting. Mercy's now three years old. And a few days ago, my wife was playing some music in the house. And Mercy's like, what is this song about? And my wife's like, nothing. It's just a silly song about a dance. My daughter, Mercy's like offended. She's like, no, it's not. It's about the hokey pokey. And my wife is like, okay, so what's the hokey pokey? And Mercy's like, I don't know. So uh, it's fun that she's starting to understand some more things about the world around her, but she still doesn't know what the hokey pokey is. And to be honest, I don't either. So if any of you know what it's all about, do leave a comment about what is the hokey pokey and I will let Mercy know. Uh, the Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. And I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. To find that blog post version, as well as the worksheet and links to everything I talked about in this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 302. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.